This year, our adult equipping series is on kingdom and nation um, and how we as people who consider ourselves to be citizens of God's kingdom should interact uh, and live that out, um, especially in a year this year. This is an election year, and we think that we are people who are in, called to engage, to engage culture. We're not called to withdraw from it. God left us here for the very purpose of being salt and light in a dark community, and so we engage wherever we possibly can and on every level we possibly can. And uh, if you have not, if you weren't here last week to hear Derek Kelsey, Derek is, um, I love Derek, he is, uh, he's one of the pastors of the Embassy Church, he's also a really good friend, he has uh, helped Jewel and I in many ways just to live into and, and understand and see uh, from a different perspective how to, how to engage our neighbors um, and he also works a full-time job, and he, he partners uh, with people in his neighborhood uh, and, and their leadership team there to embody um, the gospel and God's kingdom in their part of, um, in their part of Denver. So they, he came last week to talk with us specifically about the mission of the church and especially how the church is called to be a kingdom people. And I get to piggyback off of that a little bit. Um, my goal today, hopefully, is, uh, you know, and, and it's kind of small here, so, so I'm not going to be, like, crazy or try to make this a performance or anything. My goal today is just to help us move toward, uh, 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 toward a kingdom worldview. All of us have a worldview that we operate out of um, and a governing story, a narrative that we're living our lives by, and we can either... Um, live into the one that Jesus has laid out for us, uh, the one that we believe is according to the scripture, or we can just passively be influenced. All of us, all of us are, we're like, uh, one guy described it as how fish in the water don't know that they're wet because they have never known anything other than wetness. And all of us are that same way in the culture in which we have been raised and grown up in. We, we, are beginning to see, uh, as it were, the scales drop from our eyes as God's people and by the Spirit, God graciously moves us along from one degree of maturity to the next. Um, but part of that is, is realizing and confronting the darkness in the surrounding culture that we're a part of and learning uh, what its tenets are, what is its narrative, what is its creation story, what is its uh, redemption story, what is its story of hope, and how it is not gospel. And how then we would, we would, as God's people, shaped by his kingdom and by his kingship, live into something different. And so that's what I'm hoping to get at today. The big idea today comes from uh, Matthew 6.33. So if you think of the, what, everybody knows the Great Commission passage, right? Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Um, we could probably quote that in our sleep. Uh, and, if, and if you don't, you're feeling bad because I said that, I'm sorry. Um, I, I'll just remind you what it is. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe whatever I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end. Uh, everyone's familiar with that, right? And usually in Christianity, we take that as a jumping off point for our primary purpose, uh, in fact, the way I was raised, um, or, or uh, I don't know if it was actively uh, raising as it was the culture in which uh, the, the slice of Christianity we were part of, that, what that meant was go and tell everybody that Jesus died on the cross for their sins so they could escape hell and go to heaven when they die. And that was it. Um, and there's definitely the central message in that of 
that Jesus is the power of the gospel and that if it weren't for him going to the cross to atone for our sins and also to push back death as a presiding reality, that there would be no hope. So that is true. That is true. But it goes much farther than let's individually just get to heaven when we die. Um, it's, it's far better news than that. Uh, so we know that is the Great Commission. And one of the things that was overlooked in the way I was raised was that Jesus said, teach them to observe whatever I have commanded you. Well, and that begs the question, what has he commanded us? Uh, and, it, and, it, and it was assumed, and not explained super well necessarily, um, it was assumed that that was, well, go and tell somebody every week about that Jesus died on the cross for since they go to heaven when they, when they die. Try not to do too much sin between now and when you die. Uh, go to church every Sunday. That was the basics of it. And that's not really at the heart of what, those things are not really at the heart of what Jesus commanded. Okay, so, so we have to back up a little bit and say, well, what did Jesus command? And I would say at the, the, the big idea is the simplest version of following Jesus says that we must obey Jesus' command to seek the kingdom of God first. And seeking the kingdom of God and all that stuff that I described about my own upbringing and what, what that, they're, they're not like one and the same. Now, I, I, don't get me wrong, I'll caveat here. I think that we should gather as God's people, that that helps us live as a kingdom uh, and we'll get into that, right? We're going to get into that a little bit more. Many of those things um, that I mentioned are, are means to living as if God is our, Jesus is our king and his kingdom is the presiding reality. But they're not, they're, the means is not a substitute for that, okay? So, so let's, let's, uh, we, we need to think about getting these straight. And so I actually have, um, oh, oh, here's, here's, my, here's, my, here's my passage for that, right? Uh, Matthew six thirty three. Jesus says, and this is couched in such a beautiful discussion about um, everyone being caught up with what their culture told them was the point of life. And Jesus said, you can live in light of my kingdom and the things that I have laid out for you because I am your king, which makes God your father, which means he's going to care for you for all of your needs. And so that frees you up to instead of like trying to prove yourself with your life or trying to, or desperately trying to uh, live as if it all ma- uh, if it all it's all up to you and you have to build your own sense of worth that you're freed up now to seek his kingdom. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things are added to you like that as you pursue God and pursue him and, and the and and the overarching reality of his kingdom, that then uh, what he does is he leads you into uh, wise living that takes care of all of the other stuff that we have brought into being the central point of our lives. Um, so, uh, so, so Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's our big idea today. The simplest version when you boil it all down and following Jesus says that we must obey Jesus's command to seek the kingdom of God first. And what we're going to try to do is unpack that a little bit today. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God or what does it mean to live in light of uh, uh, I would I would rephrase Jesus's command for us today to say that we need to live into a kingdom worldview as opposed to the worldview we've been given or we need to live into the narrative of scripture that scripture gives us rather than the narrative we're being taught by our surrounding culture. So um, 
I actually have four truths that I hope are, they build on each other that I hope are going get to us, uh, get us to this. And some fun, I hope they're fun for you anyway, exercises. <laughs> they're fun for me. I love them. <laughs> um, they're exciting. I'll put it that way. It's exciting to think about. Um, uh, but four truths. So and I'll just give them to you really quickly, and then I'll kind of I'll talk about, uh, I, I want to spend the majority of our time in truth four. So that's why I'm going to give all of them to you real quick and make a few comments. So truth one is the one true story is our story, and it's the governing story of reality. Okay, so that's one. Two uh, is God's kingdom and its citizenship is now, if, like if truth one is two, then truth two, uh, if truth one is true, then truth two follows. God's kingdom and its citizenship is our governing reality, right? So if, if the one true story is our story and is the governing story of all of reality, then God's kingdom and its citizenship is now our governing reality. So then truth three follows that, that we must now look at every part of life through our kingdom identity in order to faithfully steward every part of life. And there's a fundamental, like, uh, we need to get the idea of stewardship here because stewardship becomes our operating, uh, I don't want to say, uh, you could almost say identity, but it, it becomes our, our, operating, um, our operating principle with life because what our culture is telling us is that we're not stewards, that we're owners, that there's property that I'm supposed to get, and that's the means to my happiness and purpose in life. Uh, uh, and, and so there's this radical individualism that goes against the idea of stewardship, which is what God makes us. He makes us stewards. So then uh, truth four, finally, is that kingdom stewardship means expressing the characteristics of God's kingdom, which I would also call pursuing shalom, through every sphere of influence we've been given, both corporately and individually. Um, so that's four. So to start off with truth one, the one true story is our story, and it's the governing story of reality. And I put this up here, these symbols. We go over these symbols over and over and over again, right? Um, we, we, when we look at them, creation, we've got rebellion, we've got uh, promise, where God is pursuing his people and giving them promises about what life is all about and about a redeemer. Then redemption comes. And then God, uh, Jesus, commissions his people again, the church, to be about what, he, what they were about in the beginning um, by the power of the Spirit until uh, restoration comes where he fully restores all things to himself in new creation. So we tell that story over and over again as a summary of the big narrative arc of the Bible, not because we think that it is a religious exercise or a pious exercise to know the Bible, but because the Bible fundamentally tells, the scriptures tell us the true story of the whole world. That it is God's interpretation of all of history and it is, it is claiming that to, to give us a lens through which to look at all of reality. And that we fundamentally believe that because, because we have to live, if we want to live godly lives and lives that are biblical, that we have to live into that story. To be shaped by that story rather than reducing the Bible down to, uh, down to quips, pithy sayings, rules even, uh, that we then add to this, the alternate story that we're living by. Does that make sense? Like this story is the governing story. It's the narrative that tells us what actually is going on in reality. And there's other narratives that are out there that are competing with it. 
Um, and, I, and, and so I've been reading a book recently called In Search of the Common Good, and I think um, the author of that gets at this well. And I, I was, uh, um, here's the next slide, right? The one, it, I would say that predominantly in the U.S., that the, the one we've been steeped in is the story of the American dream, okay? Um, uh, others have talked about it in terms of the, uh, the philosophy of modernism or existentialism. If you want to look those up, you can. But, but they're basically three different takes on the same basic thing, just in different generations, okay? Because um, when you look, uh, and here's, here's, I'll just read this to you. The, uh, the con- here's the contrast, right? In every culture, you will be steeped in an alternate story of reality. Ours, this one, the American dream reduced to its core, tells us that we are each to pursue our own rights, freedom, and property, and that this is the path to happiness. We would call that individualism. And it's layered into our society and upbringing on almost every level. I would say that all of us, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, are still wrestling with this to some degree. In fact, I... I, uh, (laughs) I, I'm not going to tell you the full story, but I was saying something. My daughter was asking me a question, and I was answering her. And as the words were coming out of her, my mouth, I thought, man, that sounds a whole awful lot like the values of, of uh, the world that we are taught through the lens of the American dream than it does about the values of God's kingdom. Um, and I have yet to like, come back to that and finish that discussion. So, um, and that was like two days ago. So... Uh, I think that we are going to constantly be wrestling with this. Um, and thankfully, we have the grace of God, right? Like Jesus actually died for all of your sins and was buried and rose again. So don't hear me wrong here. Like we have his grace. But we also need to live faithfully and live into what he's told. I don't want to say but. It's not a contrast. And along with that, right? Like uh, along with God's grace, he helps us move from false ways of living into truer ones. So, um, so, so it's layered into our society and upbringing on almost every level, and it's supported by just about every structure. Every structure of our society supports this idea, just about. It receives bipartisan approval, this idea, okay? Um, you're not going to find, if you want to live according to G- Jesus' kingdom values, you're not going to find a party that aligns with you. But they all align to this. Um, And yet, just think about it, guys. We have seen the devastating results of this played out in the very words of the one who penned, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Who wrote that? You can say it out loud. Martin Luther King. Thomas Jefferson wrote that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Martin Luther King quoted it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love how he quoted it, right? But Thomas Jefferson wrote this. And lest you think the idea came from him, it actually came from someone else. John Locke, who... Um, who who his words were life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. Now, uh, Thomas, it was no mistake that Thomas Jefferson's pursuit of happiness, what, that was his, um, 
<laughs> I would argue, okay, and there's going to be lots of people that argue against me, okay, so, I, so this is my opinion, right? But that's his interpretation of the per, pursuit of property is the pursuit of happiness to him. You get that? Uh, he stole those ideas from John Locke and put them into our founding documents. Now look how it played out in his life. The pursuit of happiness to, to Thomas Jefferson meant building wealth on the back of, backs of free labor. He didn't mean black people. He didn't mean women when he wrote those words. The, he thought that he individually could pursue happiness by oppressing peop, other people. And I don't, I don't want to... Uh, I don't... Um, <laughs> Some people may uh, object by saying, well, that was their culture in that day. And, and uh, yes, but it's wrong. It's wrong. It was the systemic oppression of a people group that he promoted that helped build our nation. And our American dream continues to be built on this. Idea. And this is where it implodes. The idea implodes because some, one individual's pursuit of happiness may oppress another person. And that is why that, uh, that is how you can see that this is not a worthy narrative to allow to govern your life, okay? Um, this narrative is subtly false, and it needs to be confronted with the truth of the gospel, which says something different, okay? So, in the gospel, uh, and, and I would, let me just finish with this. This is actually a lie as old as the first sin, the lie of individual self-determination, that that equals the good life. Did God really say, you may not eat? Like, just think about it a little bit. What they chose was autonomy, the right to determine for their own what is good and evil, rather than to sit in the beauty of the created order that God had made and his rule, which God's rule is never oppressive. Every other false story, you will find all of the other competing stories you will find to be oppressive somewhere. God's never is. Uh, and so I would say this, is, this lie is as old as the, as the beginning. Satan hasn't changed his strategy. Um, but the primary implication of truth one the one true story is our story, and it's the governing story of all reality, is that in God's story, no identity or pursuit of true shalom is created individually. Um, that we have to go back to who God is and what he has done in his story to have our lives interpreted about how we should operate in the world, and that that is really what it means to be part of his kingdom. So truth to God's kingdom and its citizenship is our reality. It is our governing reality. And without rehashing everything that I like, I, you really need to go and listen to Derek. If you weren't here, go. Uh, in fact, I don't think it's up yet. So <laughs> I don't think it's on the website. So it should be soon. But um, he just laid out very simply some beautiful things. And as I was listening to, I was like, man, I don't, you know, uh, I, I was in seminary for, for years and all this stuff was fought over. And it was like, man, Derek just so good. But he started off with, God is to be known, loved, and worshipped, right? That's the old Westminster Catechism chief end of man is to know God and glorify him forever. God is to be known, loved, and worshipped, and he demonstrated how that is not narcissism. Uh, God is not some divine narcissist. In fact, when you 
see God in the Trinity. I love this thinking about Trinitarian doctrine and how there has been this eternal community that it's all, where each one has known and loved and, and valued and extolled the beauty of the other in perpetuity and continues to do so for eternity. Like, and then when God creates in his image, he creates us to need community, not so that we can say, come see how awesome I am, but so that we can care for others and all of us be brought up as human beings in that care for one another. Like it's at the heart of image bearing is this idea of the dignity of our fellow person. And it's built, it comes from Trinitarian love and submission to one another. And God is to be, God is to be known, loved and worshiped. So then he went on to say that God's kingdom is a present reality with a rule, a ruler, the ruled and a realm. It's like, oh, it's so good. And I'm going to use it here in a second because I, I mean, like there's so many ways, crazy ways and like ivory tower uh, discussions about what in, is involved in the kingdom of God. And this just like brought it down, I thought, to a, a very easy to ingest level. Rule, ruler, the ruled, the realm. The rule is uh, the characteristics of God's kingdom. God's kingdom, he said, is to be characterized by or is characterized by righteousness, justice, peace and flourishing. Or I, we use the word shalom around here. Um, that that's how God set things up in the beginning, and that was the operating principle. Uh, that's uh, it was it was to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. Like you spread my glory everywhere, continue to bring this harmony throughout all creation. Like that, that there is this rule that God is the ruler, that we are His people, His subjects, and the realm is all of creation. And you can find this backed up even when you look. Uh, historically and, and literarily at the beginning documents of the Bible, uh, Genesis, that they are set up in a, in a temple style with the idea of the deity being, they, uh, it's so clever, I love it, um, like, like that it, it is to be, uh, in the original culture, it would have been unmistakable as they read those first opening lines of the Bible, that in the beginning God created everything and how it was laid all out, it would have been unmistakable that it was in the context of all of creation being his realm and him being the ruler and us being his, the extension of his rule and partnering with him in that as his subjects. Um, so it's beautiful. Uh, so righteousness, justice, peace, and flourishing. And then that God's people, the church, are literally called and commissioned by Jesus to be a kingdom community. That we... Uh, as we go and make disciples, that what we're doing together corporately as God's people, the community, is we are spreading the characteristics of his kingdom, righteousness, um, justice. And don't think of righteousness, and I think Bobby may have talked about righteousness some time ago. Um, we often think of it in terms purely of the legal status, right? That we have been made righteous in Jesus. That is true, and it's wonderful. It's apart from our merit. But what it produces then is acts of righteousness in us. Like in the acts of righteousness are those things that are in line with the characteristics of God's kingdom. That when we have been made alive, that when the spirit has uh, um, uh, animated, reanimated us and we have been made alive in Christ, that then our hearts reflex as we continue to grow is to spread what God is like around us. And, he, and what he is like is justice, peace, flourishing shalom so we are literally called as god's people and commissioned by jesus to be a kingdom community okay so truth one the one true story is our story 
It's the governing sword of reality. Truth, too, which follows is that God's kingdom and its citizenship is our governing reality. <clears throat> Truth, three, is if that's true, we have to now look at... Uh, um, and I might back up to say, too, and we talked a lot about this as well, that we then find the Bible, uh, the scriptures, finding their, uh, their natural um, authority in our lives. Because rather than us finding and cherry-picking little verses that fit with our lives, we find ourselves by the Spirit living out of the story it tells. Um, how many have heard, well, you can find a verse to support anything you want. Heard that, right? It's true, isn't it? Like you can isolate anything in there and make it say whatever you want to, right? And that, that's not authority. That's not biblical authority. But we do find the Spirit telling this story about this kingdom with a king that is uh, being restored by the sub, like, uh, as its subjects, us, are partnering with the king on mission. And it's such a beautiful story. And now we get to lean into the Spirit out of that identity to play our part in the story. Okay, so um, we talk about this a lot here too, but when Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, he's, that baptism identity is a new identity where it's a naming. Um, that, uh, you ever see like the christening ceremonies uh, in Christendom? Um, this is just by illustration, okay? So I'm not supporting this thing. But, um, but in Christendom, uh, there would be a point where a baby would be given its Christian name, and that would at baptism, right? And that would become that who that baby is, and everyone would know that baby by that name ever after, right? Um, well, that's kind of that. That's an illustration for what Jesus is talking about with baptism. That we have been given a new name, like we've been made new people. That we are now. Connected to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so this is, it really actually is about identity. That we're identified with this God who is our King. And so we talk a lot about how family is the identity with the Father. Missionary is the identity with the Spirit. As he's dry, he, the Spirit sent Jesus on mission, he sends us on mission. You will receive power when the Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses. The Spirit sends on mission. And then servant because, uh, is the identity of the son because he came not to, not, to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Um, so Jesus talks about these things and gives us that identity before. And, and what I love, too, is that we're given that identity not because of what we have done, but before we've done anything, uh, as was Jesus and as was Adam. Adam was told, here, you're made in my image, Adam and Eve, I should say, like it was the them together that were the representation of humanity. And he's saying, you're in my image. Now go and spread my image everywhere. Now go. And then when Jesus was baptized, the Father's voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Like he wants everybody to know who he is. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness. And then he goes and, and brings uh, the obvious nature of the kingdom forward in uh, bringing healing and, uh, and good news and setting the captives free, right? So same happens to us, that we're made alive in Christ. And then we're, as part of that, we're given a new identity, which then becomes the governing identity for, for how, we, how we behave, right? Who we are comes first, and then how we behave comes after that. Um, so, so when we look at life through these things, uh, 
when we, when we look at life out of who we actually are, um, then we are able to faithfully steward every part of life. So you could, you could talk about it this way, the false identity of individualism, that I am my own, I'm the master of my own fate, that whatever I can get for myself is the me- measure of my worth, right? Like, uh, and I'm kind of like bullet pointing it here, so you've got to unpack that whole philosophy. But that tells, you a false, that tells you a false story about who you are. You are not, like, your worth is not measured by the sum total of your stuff or your abilities or what you can get um, or even who you can surround yourself with. God tells us something much better, and so we have primary identity disciple. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is by the Spirit's power increasingly submitting all of life to the kingship of Jesus. You've been called this first, and now you go live into it. The kingdom, kingship of Jesus becomes primary to us as we... Because we're, we're, we're disciples, we're follow, followers of him. Primary identity of family, we've been made family with God. Therefore, we look at other humans as made in God's image and as potentially family, right? Like, what if you looked at everyone around you, every human being, as someone who is made in God's image and who God wants to restore to his image through Jesus? What sort of a, pre- would, what sort of a if, if you could always look at everyone that way, what sort of oppression would you be the committer of? I mean, that alone would trans right. That alone would transform the way we operate in the world. So, everyone is potentially family. Therefore, everyone has dignity and value. We look at God's people as our partners, not as competition, not as like a threat. Like all of you are made in God's image and gifted and unique wonderful, beautiful ways to show what he is like, and us together are a body with no member being more important or more highly valued than any other. Um, Primary identity of servant. Having this view of humanity enables us to wash each other's feet and to see all all of life as the arena for that posture. And that's not one that we normally think of when we're thinking of protect my property, protect my rights, um, that the American dream is telling us is our, is, our, uh, is our identity. Primary identity of missionary, we see ourselves as sent by God for this purpose, to be an expression of his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like Jesus, Jesus commanded us to pray that way, but then he sent us to embody it. Um, he, he sends us. We, are, we have the identity of missionary as his people, the church. So, um, so we get to, uh, in order to faithfully steward, because that's the question, right? It's, it's a lot easier if the Bible is a rule book, right? We can just look up our rule and find out what we're supposed to do. But if it's narrative, you know, a narrative arc, I mean, there's rules in there, don't get me wrong. There are rules, you know. Uh, but if it's a narrative arc and we're, and we're trying to compete with the prevailing cultural story, with all of its values, then we're having to, to winsomely and wisely go to the Spirit and, and live into the identity that we have as His people. It's a diff, if it's a different sort of operating principle. Okay? So, truth four. Oh, hey. Sorry, I'm behind. <laughs> there it is. Truth Truth three, we look at every part of life through our kingdom identity in order to faithfully steward it. And then truth four, kingdom stewardship means expressing the characteristics of God's kingdom 
shalom. Through every sphere of influence, we've been given both separately and individually. So, and I love this because this is where we get to interact a little bit. Because when you think of spheres of influence, like it's not a mistake that God puts you in the place that he puts you, in the job that he puts you, in the relationships that he puts you, in the genes that he even that, you know, uh, the, the, the stores you frequent, like you're, uh, a lot of it's connected to location, but even now with, you know, with the way our work works with remote, uh, you know, capabilities and all these things, like you have uh, spheres of influence where you're called to live and operate and live in to your, your, uh, your identity as a kingdom citizen. Um, and these are our stewardships. They're not uh, rights. They're not owner. They're not, it's not you. <coughs> You are making who you are by the job you have any longer. And uh, um, it's God has given you that to express his glory through your faithful stewardship uh, of that place, um, pursuing uh, the characteristics of Shalom as a family of missionary servants who are following Jesus, the king. Right. So so you get to think about that. Some of the ones that came to mind to me um, from a high level, our relationships. So that's a sphere of influence that most of us have on some level or another. Um, work. When I say work, uh, and that one's going to be my case study here in a minute um, for us. When I say work, I, I love to talk about that one because work is um, something that the majority of us do for the majority of our waking hours. And not all of us are paid for the work that we do, right? Like, uh, some of us are paid for parts of the work we do, like you call that an occupation. But most of you do all kinds of work that maybe is contributing to flourishing in your spheres of influence uh, in a way that, that uh, is not economical in the sense of you get financial remuneration for it, right? Like, um, but is, is absolutely important. Like we spend our time uh, working on our homes. We spend our time um, caring for our children, and that is work. If you don't think it's work, you probably don't have kids yet. <laughs> uh, you change diapers. That is work. That is important to, to impacting the sphere of influence that God has called you to in your family so that flourishing would, would be there. I mean, that one on its very uh, – uh, I love that one because, like, at its very basic level, if diapers stopped being changed, then people would die, Right? Isn't it true? Okay, so um, that work is, is vital <laughs> for flourishing. Okay, so, um, so work and occupations. Sometimes we think of work primarily through the lens of our occupations, so that's included under the umbrella of work. But also spheres of influence like your local neighborhood. You may have thought it was random when you bought that house or moved into that apartment, but God didn't. Um, and those neighborhoods are located in municipalities, in, uh, in commonwealths, in states, um, in cities that have social networks that are there for, to, to, to be influenced by us for flourishing, for the common good. Um, greater societies that you may, social uh, networks that you may have. And then I just think of, as you continue to move out, broader society. Um, you know, uh, uh, we have, we're gifted with a democracy where all of us are given the ability, the stewardship of helping to decide 
who, it, who makes the laws for us. Um, and that is an arena of influence that is yours, uh, that, that you're called to um, express, uh, to, to work, to, to steward, to express the values of God's kingdom through, right? So here's a case study. And the reason why um, I just want to give you a contrast here to the alternate stories, right? Um, and I use work because you begin to find that work of all kinds, and especially our, uh, I shouldn't say especially, but you can consider your occupations. Um, we spend so much time doing this. It would be odd if God somehow like thought that that wasn't spiritual and didn't really care about that aspect of, of life, right? Wouldn't it be weird if it was like somehow that's not really spiritual, it just gets us by so we can start doing the spiritual things later? When you think about it, like would God, you know, here, I want you to do this thing for 40 to 60 to 80 hours a week. And that's just, you know, not really valuable, but it gives you the means to, to, you know, do other things that are valuable, like send missionaries to places and things. That's silly, isn't it? Isn't it silly? We can say it's silly. It's okay. Like God cares about this work. And this is actually, you begin to find that work is integral. Uh, One guy that I know loves to say it's integral to the mission of God. It's not incidental to it. It is in, uh, some people don't pronounce that integral, um, but it, it is like wrapped up into the middle of it. Okay. So let's look, let, let's look at that one. Uh, this is a primary way we all get to love our neighbors. So let's look at this one for a minute. If you look at God's kingdom and its values, and that as our governing reality uh, for work. Um, and I've reduced some of these. So, okay. Um, but we would say then the purpose or story is that work is meant to cause God to be known, loved, and worshipped. All sorts of work. In the American dream, work is meant to cause me personally to build wealth or worth. Um, that I, I use work to, to, uh, to create my own kingdom. When you, and so you can see I've got the rule, the ruler, the rule, the realm. I stole that from Derek. But in, in uh, God's kingdom, the rule is that God's will be known, or God will be known, loved, and worshipped when my work is governed by its expression of kingdom character or its thought towards shalom. It's uh, who is the neighbor that this work is, is, um, is meant to be loving toward, and how do I express God's kingdom character through it? Now, on the other hand... Um, and this gets convoluted. I, I can, uh, in, in this side, I can operate according to whatever means will gain me the most w- uh, worth. And I find that um, as I continue to be in the work world, that um, even uh, practicing ethics and laws made around ethics are not necessarily for the sake of shalom, but for the sake of having someone not feel wrong to come after you financially. Right. Like I'm going to like cover myself in legalese so that and then I'm going to try not to make mistakes so that nobody can come after me and and take my money. Um, does that make sense? Everybody following with me? Uh, the ruler. God oversees my work. I love this. So I can work hard knowing that he governs the end. Like God's already promised us, right, that he will restore all things to himself in Jesus. So I can work hard to express the reality of his rule. And when we get to that place, um, there it will absolutely be full of God's rule. There will not be any tyranny. 
And there will be righteousness. There will be justice. There will be flourishing. There will be love. There will be harmony. There will be no more unkind words or extortion. Like, uh, so knowing that God is moving all of that to that end, I can work hard with that being uh, the, the characteristics of his kingdom being what I'm working for. And I can also stop working sometimes. I can rest because he's always working for that. It's not up to me anymore in God's kingdom to save the world, but to be an expression of the Savior, the King who has already entered it. I think that is wonderfully good news because I get caught up by this one all the time. Since I'm the master of my own fate, since I control the outcomes in our merit-based system, I achieve my own success by my work. And I put workaholism because that's what I'm believing at that point. Like I work and work and work and work and work because if I don't, something's going to fall apart and it's not going to go right. And then I won't be successful. My business won't be successful. The flourishing of my company will fall to pieces. Um, So I work in whatever way achieves my vision of success. Whatever will get me to whatever I think success is, is what I will do. That's, uh, that's the kind of ruler I am <laughs> because we're our own ruler in this, in this system, right? And I sound like a tyrant, don't I? <laughs> I'm as my own ruler. But since God is the ruler, we don't have to be controlled by that tyranny. Um, the ruled. Uh, I work for the common good, the flourishing of my neighbor. Now get this, I think this is important to grasp. This is not zero sum, somehow sacrificing my own good for them. Um, in God's economy, it is not that if I, if I don't look out for number one, uh, let me see how I can say this clearly. We're told that you have to look out for number one because as much as you are looking out for someone else, you are taking away from your own care. Um, And that's called zero sum. Like if there's $10 over here and zero over here, then I have to take away a few dollars to put dollars over there, right? Like it's zero sum. Like if I take away $3 from 10, then it's now seven. It's not 10 anymore. And I have to put $3 in order to put $3 over there. That's zero sum. Does everybody understand that? Like this is not, in God's economy, it's not zero sum. That if you obey his command to love your neighbor, that that is the way to your own health and flourishing. Do you see that? Like it's not taking away something from you to love your neighbor. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to nuance that because some people uh, operate in the right side there uh, with expressions of loving their neighbor. Like they... They forget that God is the ruler um, and that he's the savior. And so they have to save their neighbor because they've just moved it over there. Well, if I'm going to make this successful, like success will look like my neighbor looking like this. I have to work toward that. Uh, And so I sacrifice shalom, actually, instead of working, knowing that God is the savior. Does that make sense to you guys? Like, okay, so and then finally, the realm I extend... So I love this one too, right? Uh, the right side here, the, 
tells me that my realm is my own personal, my own kingdom, my own personal property, my own rights. I have to protect that realm. But this has us seeing that I, I can extend my vision of work out cosmically and globally because everyone is created in God's image. That make, like, do you see that the kingdom ethic will never ask who is my neighbor? It never says, it never asks that. Like people who are trying to justify, this is the story of the Good Samaritan. The, the man seeking to justify himself in his own actions, his own merit, asked, who is my neighbor? Like at what point do I know that I'm a good, that I'm a good person? And Jesus told him a story that essentially says, you shouldn't ask who is your neighbor. That the kingdom of God won't ask that. That everyone made in God's image is my neighbor. Okay? So, I love this case study. You can do this with all of them. Take any sphere of influence you've got and just work it through there. And think about what is the common prevailing culture tell me about this sphere of influence that I have, about uh, what success looks like there, about who the ruler of it is, about, about the, its realm, like its, its, uh, its little sphere, about uh, how I'm supposed to um, pursue the idea of success there. Okay? Um, so I've got a Mad Lib for us to do that is going to help us along these lines. Okay? So um, does anybody have, does everybody have a... Um, I didn't bring paper or pens. How about like a device in order to write down a few things? Yes. Uh, Levi's got a whole bunch over there on the floor, I see. Um, so what I want you to do is I want you to start off with listing five things you are good at or passionate about. Okay? And if you can only come up with two or three, please come up with like a couple. But I want you to like work them into ending in ing. Okay? So if it's like um, something like uh, I'm passionate about... Uh, the oppressed, maybe you can make that advocating, you know, uh, about caring, uh, you know what I mean? Like something like that. So it needs to end in ing. Is that a gerund? Is that what that's called? A gerund. It needs to be a gerund. <laughs> okay. And you can get as uh, introspective about this as you want, or you can just take recent examples too. Things you're good at or passionate about. Okay, next. <laughs> We'd be faster if you told us to list the things we're bad at. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you can, yeah, something you're passionate about. <laughs> Sometimes people write down the things they wish they were good at. But if you have a hard time thinking about something you're good at, maybe you can think about something, uh, a recent story, or even a story from your childhood of where you were involved in something and it turned out good, it turned out well, maybe even consistently. If you want to think about what you're actually good at as opposed to what you wish you were good at. Because <laughs> all of you are good at things. 
Um, the next one is list five characteristics of shalom or God's kingdom that you desire to see more of in the world. Um, and if, yeah, it doesn't have to be five necessarily, but I think you can think of the characteristics of the kingdom that we discussed. Things that would be in line with harmony and flourishing um, and peace, justice, mercy. These do not have to end in need. The things you're good at or passionate about need to end in in. This one does not. These first two are the hardest of my four. I got four of these, so these ones are the hardest. (laughs) Okay, five spheres of influence that you currently have. And I'll just give you the last one, too, along with corresponding people groups to those spheres of influence, right? So if it's like a sphere of influence is family, then you would say, I would say my my wife and kids, you know, are the people group in that sphere of influence. If you said um, uh, work, you might say something like your customers or clients, or you might say your coworkers, or you might say... Uh, the regulators of your work if you have to deal with them a lot. The health health inspectors or OSHA. <laughs> or you might say work and it's your infants or toddlers. Given what we talked about before. Everybody have a few things down? Who still needs some more time? I see some tapping, some thumb, thumbing going. Checking basketball s- scores. <laughs> no, Brian's out here. <laughs> <laughs> we miss Brian. I wore this shirt for him. I know, I texted him. Did you? <laughs> he's at the, he's at the beach today, though. Brian has a shirt like this. <laughs> that is a little weird. Sorry, but I've started a whole weird thing about with it. I see this shirt like, yeah. There's probably something about like the goodness of God's creation in this shirt. That. Okay, so here we go. Here's your here's your kingdom purpose statement. Okay, so you get to fill in. As uh, well, before you fill in, okay, let me take that away. I want you to like take your top couple. Like, circle your top couple in each category. Okay, so in each of those categories, don't... Uh, and this takes more, more time than this. Like, this is fun to play with, though. Um, so you take your top couple and fill in the blanks here. 
As a citizen of God's kingdom and an inhabitant of his story, I show off God's glory to the world by pursuing, fill in the blank, characteristic of shalom or God's kingdom. We're going to pursue that through, and you insert the ing word, the item you're good at or passionate about. For the common good and flourishing of my neighbor, and you insert your people group at or in your sphere of influence. So plug, plug, uh, plug a couple of those in. I'd love for somebody to share one if, if you have one. Anyone want to share theirs? Who is completely lost and doesn't understand what the heck we're doing? <laughs> I'll give you a minute, Levi. It's completely lost. Jackie? Jackie? No. Yes. <laughs> Look, it's okay, Kelsey. Okay, Kelsey, go for it. So I have to read the whole thing? Yes. Uh -huh. With your words. Didn't know what you were here before. As a citizen of God's kingdom and an inhabitant of His story, to show up God's glory to the world by pursuing generosity through caring for babies specifically, uh, for the common good and flourishing of my neighbors, my son, and the girl I'm nanny for, in nannying and being a mom. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that is great. I love that. Brave. Thank you, Kelsey. See how you get to see how God's given you already ways to express who you are as part of his kingdom through your ordinary normal stuff. Like there, nothing is a mistake. It's all a gift. But we just have to be careful not to allow it to be hijacked by a false story. See that? Someone, someone else want to do it? Okay. Eric? As a citizen of God's kingdom and inhabitant of his story, I show off God's glory to the world by pursuing justice through... Um, teaching and coaching for the common good and flourishing of my neighbors, my, my students, specifically my, my male students at um, my school and around our neighborhood. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's great. Thank you. Eric? Anyone else? Were you raising your hand, Val? No. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis. Anyone else? Maybe we'll take one more. Okay, Jackie. As a citizen of God's kingdom and an inhabitant of his story, I show up God's glory to the world by pursuing passion through tooling leather for the common good and flourishing of my neighbor or my, my customers at my customer base. I didn't really know what. What's the name of your business? Cable Leather. Cable Leather. Yeah, I love that too. Uh, and, and I think that's one area that the church has still yet to explore is the area of art um, uh, as a service and an expression of God's kingdom. Like there's conversations beginning and some that have been awry, I would say, and weird. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, God has been, some people would argue, like I love this one a guy I like to read here. He talks about how God, every winter, showers on us billions of individual pieces of art and because of the way we are, all we can do is shovel it out of our way, you know, and watch our dog pee in it, you know. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, he just, like, he has, like, laced the world with art, and he's made us artists, and it shows what he is like to the world. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Okay. Um, ways forward for engagement. Uh, here's a few questions to ask to, to help, and then we'll be wrapping up. First of all, how am I leaning into the reality of Jesus as the true and better king, rescuer, and restorer of all things? This, this thing right here is at the heart of the gospel, and it is at the heart of living as if God's kingdom is, in, uh, is a reality. Jesus is the true and better king. Nothing else will be a better king to you or ruler than him. Have I leaned into the Holy Spirit through community, scripture, and prayer? This is really important too. We, we get to thinking that the Holy Spirit only speaks in, in some specific ways. Um, but He actually is with us together collectively and has called us to intertwine our lives so that we may together be about living as if His kingdom is real. And also His scripture um, and prayer. I mean, He's here. He's available. He leads us. He's gentle. He's not, he doesn't accuse you know, he's never going to come to you and be like, you haven't done enough for my kingdom. <laughs> That's not how the spirit works. In any given or area of influence or stewardship, what is the prevailing cultural identity that goes against a kingdom identity? Who is the ruler and what is its realm? What does it say about desirable characteristics of its kingdom? Think about those false alternate narratives as having a rule, a ruler, the ruled in a realm. And work through that. And that will help identify with you how you are called to push back on that false story. Does the way I'm engaging promote the characteristics of God's kingdom or does it obscure them? Am I, am I thinking about the people around me as neighbors or as pain in, pain in the neck? <laughs> as a pain in the neck. Yeah, I struggle with this one uh, in my area of work. Um, not Bob. <laughs> Bob's not doing that. I love Bob. Bob's my coworker. I don't know if anybody. I'm a little bit low. <laughs> You're a little low. Uh, but sometimes we get to looking at people as problems in the way, right? Instead of as image bearers, who who need to know God as their true and better King. Um. And here's the last one. How would God lead me to pr promote the characteristics of his kingdom in the greatest net way? And the reason why I say that net way is because in a world of brokenness, we don't have time to unpack this in an awful lot, but in, in, a, in a world of brokenness, sometimes we're faced with two bad choices. Both of them are bad. Uh, and, and God calls us to engage with the daily decisions of life in a spirit-filled way and to look at those things and think about how I can, uh, in the greatest overall way, promote um, the, the values of his kingdom. Okay? Um, so in that, this all takes discernment. Um, so in conclusion, um, this morning, we're going to move to the table. Uh, we're going to move to the table. And I want you to read, I want, I want you to read this with me. Um, in fact, we may, 
um, we may just read this. Uh, we may just read this as our uh, as our call to communion today, because the the main point of communion is to say that Jesus is alive. One of the points I should say: Jesus is alive, and He is with us. He's a good King. He's not far away. He's near, and He helps. He doesn't hinder. He doesn't abuse us. He's not a tyrant. He helps, and He knows it's hard. He knows it's difficult. And so he gave all kinds of comforting words to, to us um, that we get to sit in and meditate on and believe to be true about us. So here's what he says, and I'll ask you guys to read the last part here. I'll tell you when you can start reading it. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you of you of little faith? Which that's actually a comforting thing, not an accusation. <laughs> He's saying, rely on me, I'm here with you. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, including our nation. Your father knows that you need them. And here's what I want you to read with me. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Go ahead as you're ready and head to the back. And we'll um, take it all together.